sometimes you do something and you're like, this is my favorite thing. I'm really proud of this piece. And you put it out there and the internet sort of yawns and moves on. And then sometimes you put something out there and you're like, yeah, this is pretty good. I guess this could work. And the internet just goes crazy and feasts on it. And you never know. And sometimes it takes a while. Welcome to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by allowing you a glimpse into the creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Welcome, everyone, to episode three of Louder Than Words. I'd just like to take a second just to thank everyone for listening. Uh, it's the, the response has been overwhelming is so cliche, but um, to debut at number 14 on the overall business charts among people like Seth Godin and HubSpot and Tim Ferriss and Gary Vaynerchuk is <laughs> feels undeserving, but uh, I'll just say it's, it's, it's very rewarding and validating. So uh, I hope to keep it going. And uh, the person I have today, I think is, is the perfect, the perfect guest to keep it going. Um, the person I'm going to introduce has completely, in my mind, reimagined sort of the intricacies of everyday life through diagrams. So, um, you know, her blog, Indexed, it's called, it, it was actually called one of the best blogs on the internet by time in 2008. And since then, she's just, you know, taken off to even greater heights. She's the author of How to Be Interesting, as well as the newly released The Art of War Visualized. Her doodles have been in the New York Times, Forbes, Huffington Post, and I'm sure your Twitter feed as well. She's Jessica Hagee. Jessica, welcome and thanks so much for coming and uh, hanging out with me for a little bit today. Thank you for having me on, John. And uh, it's funny, I actually discovered you. Uh, so I, I'm just going to start off by saying I, I have a problem. I buy way too many books, like physical that books. Is, that's not a problem. That's, <laughs> but that's a very good thing. I, I'm that guy that's still very much analog when it comes to the media I consume. So uh, I just moved away from like buying actual CDs. And so, but books is one thing I don't think I'll ever, I'll ever, you know, transition over from. And, um, I will say though that I am a very visual buyer. Um, and, and I, you can say what you will about that. And, and people say never judge a book by its cover, but it's, it's, it's done me pretty well so far because it's introduced me to people like Austin Cleon and it actually introduced me to how to be interesting, Jessica, which was, um, I sort of like to go into like the psychology aisle at the bookstore and sort of like, you know, what sort of really cool, quirky books can I get on, you know, the human psyche or, and I found this little, almost pocket-sized book, How to Be Interesting, with like a Venn diagram on the front, which I hadn't seen since I was in like sixth grade. And that was actually my introduction to you. I had never read the blog, uh, and I had I had actually never seen any of the doodles anywhere. But uh, ever since I found your book and followed you on Twitter, I, I feel like I, I see your name and uh, see your work in, in doodles all over the place now. So I just... Oh, there's <laughs> a name for that phenomenon. It's like the... Uh... The new car theory, where as soon as you buy a new car that you think nobody else has, you see it on the road everywhere. <laughs> that's so, so as soon as you're familiar with one piece of information, it just becomes this ubiquitous piece of your world. And that's that's so true. And that also pertains, I think, to to words too, or like, or even names of actors. Like there'll be somebody I never ever heard of, see him on a show, and then he's in every movie ever going forward. He's like Kevin Hart all of a sudden or something like that. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. But uh, yeah, so I've I read the book. Love it. Um, and I actually just recently picked up The Art of War, Visualize, too. And that's that's kind of where I want to start. Obviously, we'll, we'll move backward. But I wanted to start there because my first thought when I saw... 
the Art of War visualized on the shelf was, wow, so you took this 2500 you know 2500 year old like methodology it's almost like has it's almost like a biblical legend and you wanted to reimagine it visually so uh, my first thought was what what were you thinking like what led you to that and and sort of like how did you even go about doing that because it's such a a classic te- you know the art of war it pertains to leadership business you know war obviously so like how did that all like how did that idea hatch Well, I was, so my husband has a lot of books too, and I was just sort of bumbling around in the basement where we keep a lot of our stuff. And I realized we had three copies of The Art of War in our house, and I had never read the whole thing. So I just picked it up and started looking at it. And it's written in, it's like just about 300 verses, so almost biblical length verses, short sentences, really concise text. And I was just, these are captions. These are captions for things that I can absolutely draw. So I sat down, I did a couple chapters, and I threw them up on the internet, as you do when you draw things and throw them on the internet. And they got traction, and my agent was like, can you do the whole book? And I said, oh, I'm almost done with it. Like, I just have to to post them. So from there, we went about talking to my publisher and getting it into the format you see as it is now. And it was really sort of a, a thought exercise and filling in a blind spot. I had in, I guess, literature canon. So I I have a really fun job where I get to think about things and play with them. And this was one of those big things that I just wanted to play with. It's it's funny because what you said there, you sort of had this blind spot. You know, I do too. And I think many people do as well. And that's, that's probably why obviously the work resonates the way it does. But I, I couldn't help but thinking like as I was reading this book and going through it, paging through all the visuals, I started treating it like it was a spark notes. So it was like, okay, I'm going to read this text. It's like really old. Uh, you know, some of the dialect and the, and just the linguistics of it was kind of confusing. But then I read your, you know, and saw your visuals and I was like, oh, okay. So I immediately thought she needs to do this for like college textbooks. <laughs> like, you know, like you, you could take high school and college textbooks and, and it's, it's like spark notes on steroids because so many of us are visual learners that I think you took something that was very, very dense, very confusing and made it really easy to, to sort of apply to like anything in, in, in any of our lives. Thanks. Yeah. The, as I went through it, I really tried to see, I didn't want to just translate the text literally. I didn't want to say, and so at this point he says this and just sort of visualize one sentence at a time. I wanted it to sort of be, here's how you can think about this, that it applies to you. And so I set it up as the structure of, look, war is a synonym for problem solving. And without problems, you don't have a plot. And without a plot, you're not doing anything. So everybody has problems and everybody needs to solve them. And so thinking about it in very personal and applicable ways for people really took it out of ancient Chinese general tells you how to fight a battle and took it more into, so you've got this hassle. And what are you going to do about it? Sort of a meditative thing instead of an aggressive, angry thing. Sure, yeah, and and you made it applicable to everyone rather than a select few, and um, it, and ju- just your approach to it is 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 very fascinating to me, and uh, and I'm I'm really excited to have you on today because not only because of the success you know of your books, but I, I feel like you have something figured out that so many creatives don't. You know, it, it's all about the creative. It's about the connection. Um, you get to create art for a living. So I'd love to like sort of start off here and, and have you talk about 
like your process, like and how that's your creative process and how that's allowed you to do some of these very special things that you've done and have a really cool job, as you just alluded to before. Yeah. Um, one thing, like as sort of a disclaimer, I don't have anything figured out. I am very reactive a lot of the time and things come into my email and I say, yes, let's do that. And that's really my modus operandi for business. I say yes to a lot of things and I play with a lot of things. And if I'm not having fun, it's not a thing for me anymore. But really, other than other than that sort of approach, which I think is how a lot of freelancers work, I just make stuff. I just keep making stuff. That's been the one thing that I can do. So I wake up every day, I try and make at least a few things, if not for general internet consumption, at least for me. And I play with a lot of paints and inks and papers and text. And sometimes I set things on fire and I just, I, I get to have fun with stuff. And it's through that process of having fun that I end up finding things that are interesting to me. How do you get to that place? Because I think what you just mentioned is sort of like a nirvana for anybody that's in a creative position, um, except it sounds more like, you know, I have this writing project or passion project I want to do, but, you know, I have to pay the bills. And you have a lot of visual designers that, that do a lot of very cool things, and they just can never find their footing. Um, so, you know, it, I think you had the typical response there and said, like, I have nothing figured out. But I think you have something figured out in in the way that you get to do these things. You get to uh, dictate, you know, if I don't enjoy doing it, I don't do it. So how does one get to that place? How did you get there? Uh, my story is kind of roundabout. I had a pretty creative job before I started doing uh, graphs and charts and things for a, a full-time job. I was a advertising copywriter. And I was working at Victoria's Secret. I was working for like Chase Bank. I was just doing all this salesy stuff. And at that point, I was getting kind of burned out on the process of being that girl that writes those ads. Yeah, like <laughs> just that. And I went back to school at night for my MBA, which is my secondary exposure to graphs and charts after, of course, you get out of geometry in high school. And I saw that stuff and I was like, oh, this is fun. And I'd read, oh, I should have a blog, but I didn't want to write anymore. I mean, that's why I was doing doing school at night, so I could not have to write headlines all day long. And then I decided, oh, well, I can just play with this nice little format, and I've got this little scanner, and this can work. I'll throw this on the internet. And I never thought anyone would, would find my weird little stuff. Like, it was weird, and it was mine, and it ticked a box, but not in a very typical way. So I thought... I'm sort of skirting the write a blog thing by doing this like sneaky little drawing stuff. But from there, I people really liked it. And it went, it bounced around the internet as little things kind of zip, zip back and forth and go where they want to go. And I don't know, the serendipity of all of it is not something I can take credit for, but it's something I'm very grateful to have, have gotten out of the internet. Yeah, it's funny because it's almost like this sort of, you know, transition for you came at a perfect time because, you know, you've probably benefited from just the ease of distribution that we all have, not just as marketers. It used to be you had to be an advertiser, journalist, marketer to have a platform, but you can just draw out these little diagrams on, you know, note cards as you do, snap a picture using your phone and share it with hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands or millions of people instantly. So how much do you think, like, 
just timing played into to all of this and and how much have you benefited from that oh i I jumped into the blogging thing at exactly the right time, and I was talking to a friend of mine actually just like maybe two days ago about how we both started blogs right around two thousand and six, which in internet time is forever ago, but at that point, everybody had that like stereotypical blog with repost from this site and blog rolls and comment sections were a thing and everybody had their own little URL and blogs were like it. And getting in at that time, I think because so many other people had blogs, my stuff went to all those people and all of their audiences because it was something that they could blog about too. Yeah, but So was, I really yeah. benefited from, uh, from that style of interaction. And there was something so different, though, about like, I, I, you know, on your blog, and it dates back to 2006, you were sharing very visual anecdotes immediately. So, you know, like, what made you think, you know, I, I'm going to try, I, I know you said you were kind of tired of the writing thing. It, was that it? Was it? Was it just, you know, I don't really want to sit here and write three to 500 word blog posts. Um, you know, so I'm going to put out these little doodles, because if you hadn't done that, you know, who knows where that would have led. So it's like, what? What was the impetus for you being like, this is going to be a doodle blog? And obviously, you couldn't have seen the success you were going to have. But like, did it all just start because you were just sick of writing? Pretty much. Pretty much. I was, I was just sort of feeling stuck and sort of treading water, only treading very viscous, heavy water. I don't know. Without trying to get the feeling of like, ugh, mm-hmm. across. But I had drawn up, I think, maybe 15 or 20 little cards and I didn't know I was using uh, the free so- the free blogger platform. Sure. So that was the the first thing, and I think I threw up like nine or ten of them, and it it really happened fast enough that I didn't have time to second guess and say, is this a good idea or not? Because I think I started on August 9th. and by mid September I had a contract with the BBC and a literary agent, and that just does not happen. Wow. No. So. I was like, wow, the internet is really cool. I think I'll stay here. <laughs> so what would be, what do you think the equivalent of that? And, and this is, this is sort of an interesting question because uh, obviously two things, you, the creative needs to be there. Um, you know, the distribution methods, you know, you can say what you will about how they benefited you, but the creative needed to be there and you were offering something super creative and that was different um, on a platform that was, you know, fairly new at the time. So, you know, right now, does there exist that sort of, that same sort of opportunity for people. It's probably not blogging just because there's so much noise in that space now. Mm -hmm. Like what is a visual artist or a writer? Like how would you try to crack that now? Back then it was blogging, you know, 10 years later, I don't know if it would have the same impact. So how would you approach that? You know what? That's probably why I taught myself how to animate things this summer. Just like I, there's this weird YouTube world of, videos and people who comment on videos and of of all the things you can say about YouTube comments they still exist and there's still a lot of them and i think now the the sort of the video format or the audio format i mean you can sort of see the valleys and peaks of different things rise and fall like for a while tumblr was like the place to be and mm-hmm. now tumblr's like eh yeah that's another thing that was like really hot for a while and it's still kind of kicking along but mm-hmm. you know and i I think everybody can try out different things. I mean, I'm on Twitter and I have the Facebook page and I do all that sort of like mandatory internet stuff. But I think too, the people go where the stuff is that they want. 
So it's not just your voice. It's what other voices do you really like and where do you want to sort of fit in with? So if you if you love podcasts, go to podcasts. If you love making videos, go to Video Town. If you just want to post images, you should probably jump on Instagram. And that is probably the most nerdy social media sentence I've ever said. But yeah, just <laughs> finding the things you like and going towards them. Where do you see the most traction nowadays? Is it still your blog or is it like the social realm? Like where, where, where are you getting the most, uh, you know, sort of engagement right now? Um, well, my blog is still pretty much a placeholder and my readers have pretty much migrated to kind of the Facebook world. There's Twitter and then my stuff ends up all over the place. It ends up on Reddit. It ends up on Huffington Post. It gets repackaged as someone else's stuff somewhere else. So I've put a Google alert on myself and a few keywords to basically track where my stuff goes. Smart. But I'm, I'm, sure, I, I'm sure it's a lot of places. It's a lot of places, but again, it's the internet and it's not all of it is attributed, but I can see what gets traction and that's still good information for me like going forward and what do I want to draw tomorrow if I drew this today. Mm -hmm. So you have these, you have this sort of, uh, well, first of all, I want to ask you because this, for me, for, for personal reference, I'm not, I've never considered myself a very visual person, but, you know, I've read books by Sonny Brown, you know, in the Doodle Revolution, you know, I've seen your stuff. Um, were you a visual person? Uh, you know, you, you were a writer, you, you did copy. Um, were you always sort of like an artist or, 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 you know, basically what I'm asking you, Jessica, is can I do this? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I think more than I am a visual person or a word person, I am a grammar person. And graphs and charts have a grammar all their own. Uh, where the subject is, how the verb fits, that's sort of the arc of the line on the XY axis. Uh, the overlap of a Venn diagram is a conjunction, and the payoff is the predicate, subject, or noun. You can really sort of structure any sentence in this format that I have. And because I sort of know the punchline, I can set up the joke to play off best in graph format. So I'm not as visual as you might think, but I am very grammatical. I would love to hear um, you describe, you know, what it is that you do. My, my little tagline that I have right now on my site is diagramming the universe for fun and profit. And it's sort of, it's taking math-like objects and using them to tell little stories or little truths or to pick up on an observation that I've made and sort of contrast that with the typical stuff you see every day. So I really like doing sort of observational diagramming, which I guess is a thing because people like it. But uh, I'm very qualitative with math, math-like objects. Okay, so like you said, like you know, these things, these diagrams, this, these art, uh, these art forms can really cover anything that happens in in your day to day or in anybody's day to day. Um, so obviously, the nature of your work is very serendipitous. It could really happen anywhere. Uh, you know, it, you know, inspiration may not strike you when you're sitting at the computer. So, how do you prepare for that? Uh, the truth is, I wander around a lot. I make sure I get out of my house every day. And I live, so I live up in Seattle and I live kind of on a bluff overlooking the sound and there's a mountain range and there's a huge beach and I can hear this, the crazy sea lions barking at each other. And if I get down there and I look around and I wander around and like you said, just moleskines and having a pen, I'll probably find something out and I'll probably hear the crazy old people in the coffee shop talk about something hilarious or 
I'll see some random thing happen out on the street. And I think getting out and moving gets the the blood going and my brain going. And yet it's quiet. So walking is really a way for me to sort of clear my head out. Yeah, that's interesting because I was going to ask you like where you extract inspiration from. Uh, because I think one of the things I find most impressive about the work that you put out is it's very consistent. And so like the other day you had something on that sort of, you know, it, w- it was a line graph that drew the correlation between how good you are in bed and how much you can talk about things besides yourself. And then the day before that, there was a Venn diagram that, uh, you know, the, the joint section between warm and joy was gooey chocolate chip cookies. Those two things couldn't be further, you know, any different from each other. But they also couldn't be any more right either. So it's like, I was wondering, like, how do you extract this sort of inspiration? And you kind of just alluded to it. You overhear conversations. Is that what it's all about? Yeah, I I mean, I've always been a very eavesdroppy person. A lot of times, uh, if you're not asked for your opinion, you get to think of other people's and absorb theirs. So sort of floating behind the scenes and being mildly introverted is really good for coming up with ideas. And that's what always kind of struck me about like really, really creative people. Like every time I meet one of them, they're not they're not bombastic and they're not like, oh my God, look at what I've got here. Do, do, do. They're kind of quiet and they're very they're listening for things and they're looking around and they're like searching for their next piece. And once I figured that out, that that was an okay way to be, I knew that that wouldn't work for me to be in advertising, but it would work for me to be creative. I love hearing about sort of the day to day and, you know, the eavesdropping and the bluffs in Seattle. Um, could you describe like what a typical day would look like? Because I think most people have this image of people who create art for a living, whatever form that may take, that they almost live this like bohemian lifestyle where they're just creating all the time. And, you know, some, they could be like a rock star. And they, but what, what does it actually look like? Or does it look like that? Um, it, it's not all, say, wine, women, and cigars. It's it's more quiet, and it's I sort of fumble around, check my email, think about it, think about how I should reply to things, what I should reply to, how I should phrase things, what I should scan, what I should think about. And I am sort of a peripatetic person. I have a little room where I'm supposed to do all of my work, but I can't stay in here. So I'll turn my big rig on, and I'll scan some things, and I'll fire up Photoshop and I'll reply to a few things and I'll look at Twitter for 10 minutes and then I'll be like, ah, I got to get up. So I'll get up and I'll go to my other room and I'll draw out on the dining room table or I'll draw on the coffee table, take those things and put them together and wonder if that works. And then I'll get kind of fried and I'll go to the coffee shop and I'll draw some stuff over there. And then I'll remember I have to reply to somebody else and put a proposal together and, oh, I have to send an invoice. So that sort of bouncing around thought process would probably drive most people nuts, but it's my default setting. So you can't just sit in front of your computer. You 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 extract no inspiration from that. You know what? I extract I if I if you get in front of your feeds, like I just did a card about this today is refreshing your feeds on on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter constantly. It's really stressful, and I'm not sure why it's stressful because it's not like a to-do list that piles up. It's just stuff that comes at you. And I've been having this feeling lately that I'm just almost overwhelmed by information. And again, getting really succinct about like what I put out there kind of tries to, I try and counteract that. Yet at the same time, I'm putting more stuff out there, which is really sort of a a weird thing for me to think about. It's a catch-22, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, it provides a, a great excuse to be distracted, uh, you know, because I, I, I find that 
that it, that happens to me. So it's like, oh, you know, uh, and it's funny because I think a lot of people, you know, even myself included at times, I love the idea of creating. Um, and then sort of, and I do, but then sometimes that comes around and you realize how hard it is. And I think things like your, your social feeds, uh, your email inbox provide a really good excuse to procrastinate. Uh, well, I got to check my email, you know, what's going on on Twitter. And, and it's just there and it's so dynamic and it's always changing that it just provides such a good and dangerous rabbit hole because I'm guilty of falling down at plenty of times. So, uh, oh, totally. and it's just the, the, the art of creating things I think is so difficult and it's, it's, it's exhausting. Um, you know, particularly if, you know, you expect a lot out of yourself, uh, which I assume that you probably do. Um, so talk about that a little more, like moving back and forth, you know, through rooms, going to the coffee shop, is this, is the creative process for you? Um, you know, there's, there's a joy in, in having created, but in actually doing the creative, is it hard? Is it laborious? Is it enjoyable? Is it all of the above? Um, I think as long as I'm learning something from what I'm doing, it's satisfying. Like when I was trying to learn how to animate things. I could sit in my in front of my computer for six hours and realize, oh, my back is sore, my legs asleep. But you know what? I made this really cool thing. So there's that process, and then there's the I have to think of something. My my brain is not in the right place. How do I how do I doodle this out? What is the format for this? Does the dog need to go for a walk? Gosh, the bakery smells good. So the sort of letting my ADD sort of guide me takes me down more tangential routes too. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, you know, when you have, you have to be, if you're on the internet, you have to be aware of the internet. So you can't shut yourself off entirely. Yeah, there is, there is a lot of inspiration, but I think it goes back to what you said earlier. I think you get what you put in. So who are, you know, the type of people that you follow, the type of blogs that you read, you know, the people that you're emailing with. And I think like whatever direction you're facing, that's sort of the direction you're going to be heading as well. So I think like if you're following a bunch of artists and people that inspire you, I think those can be very good distractions. And I think, like you said, you follow your ADD and it could be very beneficial. Yeah. And when I, when I first started doing this, I, did, I mean, I didn't know what, what category I fit in drawing, drawing graphs on index cards. And I started to realize that the visual thinking community, which is a community that I did not even know existed, was like, You're, you are one of us. Welcome. And I was like, oh, um, okay, that's great. <laughs> and I see a lot now uh, – there's kind of, I don't know how to put this well, but there's a lot of stuff where people want to be thought leaders in, in those like scary air quotes. And so they want to talk about stuff in theory and they want to talk about how things interact and like huge top down stuff. But there aren't a lot of people who are like actually doing what their theories say. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a lot of marketers talk about marketing, but you won't have a lot of actual creatives do the creative marketing that makes actual things happen. You know what I mean? That's a great point. I think the, the, the actual, and I'll do the air quotes too, thought leaders are probably the most prolific doers. So you might not even hear a lot from them. So it's, yeah, it's this very interesting sort of vacuum where like the people who are thought leaders and positions, thought leaders aren't actually doing it. So it's like, who do you who do you actually you know want to you know extract your inspiration from? So that's yeah that's a great point. Um, and <clears throat> speaking of another 
you know, industry term, you know, that, that, that kind of, you know, thought leaders and influencers. Uh, another word that sort of, you know, uh, just drives people nuts is the word viral. And I hate that word because so many <laughs> marketers and advertisers treat it like it's a tactic. Like, here, Jessica, make this go viral and not for what it really is, a result. It's, it's a result that's, for the most part, out of your control. But you're somebody who, you know, through how to be interesting in 10 easy steps, uh, your article on Forbes that sort of started this whole trajectory, um, you achieved quote unquote viral status. You know, that article had millions of, of, of views. It led to a book. So what can you share, you know, based on that experience, um, you know, as, as far as, you know, the element of, of going viral goes, like, what did you learn from that? And, and, you know, I guess what can others sort of extract from that experience as well? You know, I was talking to one of my fellow web web comic people like a week ago about about the actual like what what sticks on the internet, what is what is sticky or viral or fluffy or whatever the terms are. And we were talking about how like sometimes you do something and you're like, this is my favorite thing. I'm really proud of this piece. And you put it out there and the internet sort of yawns and moves on. And then Sometimes you put something out there and you're like, yeah, this is pretty good. I guess this could work. And the internet just goes crazy and feasts on it. And you never know. And sometimes it takes a while. Like that uh, How to Be Interesting article I put up around like Thanksgiving. And it didn't really hit and go everywhere until after New Year's. So you can't, you can't predict what's going to go viral, but you can make enough things that one of them probably will. If you're consistent and you make a lot of stuff, it might be timing during the day. It might be who reads it. It might be the position it's in. It might just be like the mood of the world. I mean, you're not going to you're not going to know until you throw it out there. So my advice on that would be to make as much stuff as you like and throw it out there because something will probably stick. Yeah, and it's a great point. And it might not be something you you like you said, this is going to be a hit and then it and then it's not. And that happens so often. And it's like, it's almost like the internet is, is the ultimate sort of, you know, referee. Like it's its own thing. It determines what's, what's great and what's going to spread on its own. It cannot be controlled. Uh, and I think that's why so many people just, just get rubbed the wrong way by that word viral. But, uh, when it does happen, it's, it's like magical. And I think, I think the wrong question to ask about that article and why it did so successful isn't, you know, why, why is it so important to be interesting? Because I think if, someone were to ask that question, they should probably just close the book and not ask anything. I think the better question is, why right now? And I think the reason that resonated is because there's so much information, whether it's on your phone or your social feeds, that is that really our only option right now for standing out? I I think you totally nailed it. There are so many, I mean, there are millions and millions of smart people and there are tens of thousands of valedictorians and there are beautiful people on every block in the world and what makes somebody more than that what makes somebody somebody that you want to seek out and talk to and befriend and fall in love with like what what is that and the more i thought about like how do you get a job when you graduate how do you remain relevant in your field how do you get jobs and close deals and how do you do anything and it's that that crux of if you are an interesting person, not only will other people gravitate toward you, but you'll have something to do with yourself because you're going to spend most of your time with yourself anyway, even if you're super extroverted and always in crowds. But if you're interesting fundamentally at your core, you'll find other things to get into and do and 
give people reasons to want you around. And the more I played with that word, the more I was like, this word is the best word ever. <laughs> well, de- and, define that word. What, what is that? What, what does that mean to you? Because it is, it could be subject, you know, it could be a very subjective word. So what is interesting? Oh God, every word is subjective. It's amazing. No, but, oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. But, 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 I, it's, but especially something like this, it's like, it's, it's almost like one of my first reactions when I saw this book on the shelf was, wow, she wrote, she wrote a book on how to be interesting. That, that takes a lot of guts. That was my first reaction because it's like, she's got to be super interesting. Otherwise, people are going to be like, well, you know, you, you didn't follow your own advice. You're not very interesting. So it's like, uh, I, that was one of the first things I thought is like, what does this word mean, mean to her? Interesting is that there's more beneath the surface at all times. And if you're interested in something, you're interested in it beyond just the superficial. You're interested in the details. If you're interested in someone else, you're interested in their details. If you're interesting, you have details that are interesting. And what was the phrase that I was talking to? Somebody said yesterday, oh, they're like an onion. There's there's something underneath and underneath and underneath, and it'll make you cry when you get to it. And you're just like, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> but but thinking about people in, in layers and depth and just that inherent humanness is – I think really fascinating. And I think everyone is interesting if they let themselves see those details. And you sort of go into those details, uh, you, you know, you list 10, 10 different ways and, and we'll leave that to the listeners to go, you know, research or, or buy the book so you could hear all 10 in depth. But I think the one that resonated the most with me was do something, anything. And I think, and I alluded to this earlier, I think for so many people, the idea of being creative is almost sexier than creating itself because it's like, you know, you'll go to the store, you'll buy the Sharpies, you'll buy the sketch pads. But when it comes down to actually executing and, and creating, people find that part so hard. Um, so, so many people never start. So what, I guess, you know, as far as the do something, do anything, what have, what have you figured out about that? Why, why is that such an important element of being interesting? You know, I love that you took it right to creativity and making stuff. Because when I think of do something, do anything, I think of somebody just like marching into a food bank and saying, I'm here to volunteer. What can I do? How can I help? Or seeing a tree in the road and being like, I'm going to pull that out with my truck. Or I'm going to paint this wall or knock this down or move this around or read this entire, God, what's the gigantic book that uh, David Foster Wallace wrote that nobody gets through, but it's so beautiful. (laughs) Infinite Jest. I'm going to read all of Infinite Jest. I'm just going to do that. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is at all. And I think that you went, that you made it into a creative thing is really, is really, there's a crux of something there that people want to be known for doing something and they want to be known for how they do it. And creativity and artistic things, those things are linked so well, as opposed to like, I built this house. You don't put your name on the house and you don't have pictures of the house in galleries. And yet it's more sturdy and real and less ephemeral than probably anything I'll ever make. Sure. I don't know. I just went on a tangent there, didn't I? (laughs) No, tangents are good. Tangents are good. And I think, and I think you're right. It's, it's, it is a very creative endeavor, like to do something, do anything. So that, but that part is, is where, you know, most people fail or, or, or where they, you know, or they, they can't fail because they, they never get started um, in order to fail. So like, I mean, you surely have those moments, right? Where you kind of have to tell yourself, do something, do anything in reference to your creative 
process, right? I mean, that, that even happens to people like you, right? Published authors and people who are, you know, up on Forbes and this, this, this stuff has to happen to you too, right? Oh, I, d- I get into this sort of a trap where it's, I make a, I make a possibilities of like, I could go do this and I could become this kind of a person or I could pitch all these people and sell them on this that I want to do. And then I'm like, well, once I do that, I'm, I've taken myself in that direction. Is that somewhere I want to go? And I have to be really careful not to, like, I don't want to be the the thought leader that does all of the like, hey, handshake, let me teach you how you can be me too. Like, that's just not my thing. But I like making stuff and I like playing with things. And I think as long as I can keep what I do playful, like that's my word that I have to stick on. And as long as I do that, I'll be fine and I'll be happy and my husband will be happy and everything will be beautiful and it'll be good. <laughs> is it is it hard to keep up the the volume that you're able to do because you know many times that's where you know that's where people lose inspiration is it becomes sort of a job it's like oh i got to get a post up today i have to get another one of my drawings out has it ever felt like that to you and and if not what how do you keep it so fresh almost a decade later god almost a decade you're making me feel gray and decrepit <laughs> no, you started but, very young we'll just say that oh that would be nice <laughs> but uh actually it's gotten easier for me to do the graphs and thinking graphically and i think Anytime you do 5,000 of something, it's going to become almost second nature to you. So it's not that I'm, I'm struggling to do it. It's that now that it's sort of running in the background of, my, of me, what else can I do? What else can I, how can I spin this? What other projects can I take on? How can I go give my brain some exercise and play with something? Like I have a drying rack in my office where I was just hanging up painting stuff and I made a pile of paintings. I'm like, what am I going to do with that? So it's it's less about urging myself onward and more like take make sure you go in the right direction with the next things you do. Don't don't steer yourself down a path where you'll be uncomfortable. Don't get on a cul-de-sac of sadness. And it sounds like unknowingly, I think you're sort of creating the space for creativity to exist, though, just seeing the paintings in the corner and that sort of thing, I think is enough to inspire somebody like me. And I think like I'll leave things around on purpose. I'll leave moleskin notebooks on my desk, um, you know, and 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 pens that I really like to use, as weird as that sounds. Um, and I'll leave these things around purposely because I feel like it, for some reason, it fuels inspiration. Does that sound crazy? No, it doesn't, because I am a pile maker. I don't like to put things away. I like to have piles of things around. You're a creative hoarder. That, that, that's a good thing. I am. I, I do. I do kind of hoard art supplies. But again, <laughs> it's all in one room. It's not. I'm not. I'm not a fire hazard or anything. There are no cat feces in here. But yeah, having stuff sort of. If I can scan my little tiny horizon of eight feet by nine feet, then I can see something that's that's fun to play with, and I can play with whatever I want. Yeah, and that, that's that's half of it right there. Just is is finding that that muse and sometimes it's just the junk uh, on, on your desk you know creative hoarding that that's that could be the next uh, big thing you know that, that can inspire people um, gosh have you have you seen the everyday carry i haven't okay it's these it's people who are like they're like what's in your purse or what's in your pocket and they take it out and they artfully arrange it and i look at it and i'm like those people are so organized and so clean they never have receipts they never have like 
broken things they find on the street. There's nothing sticky or weird in there. Like, how do they live? Oh, man, they should do that for like artists, like their desk space. Like what's in their drawers? And, and I, I mean, I would find that fascinating. Uh, uh, that, that, that could be a, a hit web series. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, uh, some of it, you look at it and you're like, what is this? Like sometimes I find paper and I'm like, why did I, why did I write that? Like I have a, a sticky note on my desk right now that says the amazing Poopkin. And, the, and I don't even know what that is. And Poopkin, like the two O's are making a face. And he says, oh, no. And I don't know what it is, but I kept it on my desk. <laughs> that, that could be your next is that maybe that's your next post maybe we'll see it tomorrow uh one of, one of your doodles will have the great poopkin in it so maybe we'll have to, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to look out for that um, yeah, maybe i should pitch a kid show <laughs> yeah right um so i think you know the reason why i i bought your book and the reason why i enjoyed it i think were were two different reasons so the reason why i bought it was as a marketer i wanted to know how can i be more interesting from a branding standpoint from a marketing standpoint, because obviously I've, I notice how much noise there is on in any platform. And I think being human and being interesting is the only way to counteract that. But then the reason why, the reason why I enjoyed it was because of just how human it was and how I could relate to it, uh, on a personal level as well. So, you know, as the marketer, like how can, I mean, you're somebody who's worked, you know, you've worked in that space. You, you know, you did copy for Victoria's Secret. So how can brands, you know, you know, for somebody like me and you're appealing to marketers on the bookshelf, how can brands be more interesting? Or, you know, do you see a, do you see a problem or a disconnect between the stuff brands are putting out um, and the level of interest, I guess, that they're inspiring in their audience? I think you just, you just talked through it yourself. You just said, I, I, wanted it because I wanted to know about brands, but then I kept it because I liked the humanity of it. And I think when brands get human, when they get sort of honest or they have a real spokesperson that people can relate to, or when they have a voice that sounds true or not structured by 10,000 PowerPoints and five customer service focus groups, that's when, that's when brands actually work, when they don't try so hard and they just let somebody be them. Yeah, and that's so rare, though. That, you know, and it's is that is that part of the reason why you kind of become? I don't know if I want to use the word jaded, but to that industry. And oh, kind I was of, pretty uh, jaded. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, if when when there's money involved, when there are ten people with jobs big enough to support families, all fighting for a little piece of turf about a brand adjective in a headline that headline is going to have the humanity sucked out of it because it's not going to be something someone said. It's going to be something someone composed. Did you, seeing, did you struggle with that? Like in meetings like that, like how did you, how did you navigate sort of that, that push and pull of, of having this, you know, inner voice that's so, you know, humane and, and very, very, uh, you know, just logical versus that aspect of advertising. Like how did you navigate that push and pull? Well, you're okay. So there's this weird fine line in advertising where you have to have passion for your brand, right? And you're supposed to fake that and you're supposed to be super into it at all times. And at the same time, you're supposed to not worry about when other, when people kill ideas and things die and blah, blah, blah. And I have found that like almost every creative I've ever worked with really doesn't have any passion for the brand. They have passion for the work. And so they make hundreds of iterations and dozens of ways to do it. And so when one finally gets, gets through if it ever gets through they don't even recognize it as their own after a while like I look at things I did and I'm like I don't remember writing that (laughs) and so I think I think I built that sort of shell between this is what I do for work and money and this is what I do for fun and 
now I know that if anybody tries to to sort of say, can you change this one word so this says this because we went to a focus group and we decided that we were going to do it this way, that's when I'm sort of like, you know what, you should probably call one of my friends who really has rent to pay and he can probably do an awesome job for you. <laughs> That's a, and that's a great point. It's, and, and you were able to sort of marry those two things, you know, the thing that you get paid for and the thing that you love doing. And I think that's probably the thing that most creatives would be most envious of is, is finding that path. Um, you know, so like if, you, if this is something that I'm sure you get asked a lot, but if you had to give, you know, aspiring creatives, they could be in a job right now and they could be, they could be miserable. Uh, they could be listening right now and feeling that same sort of jaded, like, you know, I love to design, but I hate doing it within this sort of structure and confines. Like, what is your advice to people like that? How can they follow that passion, but also not starve to death? I'd say just keep making stuff you love to make. And if you're really exhausted by the end of the day at the job you don't like with the people who are just like killing your spirit, you have to find the energy to keep doing your own stuff. Because that will that will save you, even if it doesn't ever bring you any money, it will save your soul. Oh, we're getting really deep here, huh? Save- no, for real. Like <laughs> it's it's scary. It's scary when you're like, oh, when you look like, what have I done for twenty years? Oh, I've I've either made like a whole lot of work that people smile at every day, or I've written a bunch of brochures. And it's a lot more important for you to do the former. Yeah. Although, I mean, a good brochure is a good brochure. I'll give you that. Yeah, it is. Um, I want to ask you a really hard question here. Uh, I usually end with this one. Um, Are you creatively satisfied? That is a different answer every 10 or 12 minutes for me. Because sometimes I'm like, oh, this is really good. And I'll look at it again. I'll be like, God, you're so stupid, Jessica. No, that's not very good. You have to change it and make it this way. But in the fact that I discovered like, oh, no, that was dumb. Change it. That's fun for me. Yeah. So yeah. like I said, I, I bounce around between like, oh, this is cool or, oh, I don't know. So the, do you self-edit yourself a little bit, it sounds like? Oh, constantly. Yeah. I think I think I, I'm probably my hardest, hardest critic. So when people are like rude on the internet, I'm like, you no, I've already said that. It's okay. <laughs> I've already said those things to myself. I've had that inner dialogue plenty of times. Yeah, although uh, my inner dialogue tends to be about my work and not how I'm a stupid broad, so <laughs> well, yeah, you never know. If you could keep it that way, yeah, then you're onto something. Um, well, Jessica, I just wanted to say that uh, it, it's been a pleasure chatting with you here. This is this has been everything I expected in that it was so much different than every other conversation I'm going to have because <laughs> because just of how the, the the fun and quirky nature of the job that you get to do and uh, and you, and I think I speak for many people in creative positions when I say that I think that's what we aspire to do maybe not a, that exact same work that you're doing but obviously something that we believe in something that uh you know can take us places um and 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 I think we we all in some form or another aspire to do that and I think you figured out a way that works for you and it's it's certainly fun to read uh but it's even more fun to chat about so thank you so much for coming on thank you and if you or anybody else out there ever needs me I'm on the internet and I'm happy to help well that's where I was going to go next where can people find and read more from Jessica Hagee uh, my website that is my blog is thisisindexed.com. Uh, my homepage is jessicahagee.info. I'm on Facebook if you search This Is Indexed, and I'm on Twitter at Jessica Hagee. 
Definitely follow her on Twitter too, people, because she shares a lot of her drawings. And uh, so many times I've, I've caught one and been like, damn, she's right. Like that. Wow. Wow. And, uh, they're, they're just like little nuggets. They're just, uh, you, you've managed to just take everyday life and, kind of diagram it, process it. Like we have a process manager uh, at our company and she she would absolutely love you. I need to tell her to follow you because she, you know, you just, you can take everything and, and, and put a process to it or or diagram it in these little nuggets of, of art and they're just a lot of fun to read. So definitely check out Jessica Hagee on Twitter, everyone. Uh, Jessica, I'll say it again. Thank you so much for coming. I had a lot of fun. Um, for everyone else out there, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, be sure, number one, to go follow Jessica, but also to subscribe, write some comments, say hello. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, even suggest some guests that uh, you might love to have on here because we just might be able to get them. So, Jessica, thank you so much. And um, for everyone else, we will see you next time. Bye.